You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Dane, you are at the Target Center. Do you have any any exciting tidbits or news to to report, or was it just pretty standard day there for the Timberwolves? Uh, there was probably some more news today than normal, just because two rotation players are injured: uh, Jeff Teague and Nemanja Bjelica. Teague with a Achilles injury, and Bjelica with a rolled ankle. Uh, participated in a limited role today at practice, and. Uh, Coach Thibodeau just kind of said that they're going to warm up this this evening before the game and kind of make a decision there. So I think it's the classic uh, game time decision for for the both of them. Thibodeau did say that uh, Teague is quote further along than Bielitsa. But I think the assumption there is safe to say that Tyus Jones will still get a considerable uptick in minutes, even if Teague does make it back and does start, just because he's coming off that injury, wouldn't you say? Maybe, but uh, I never bank it on more than twenty minutes a game for any uh, any bench player on this Timberwolves team. <laughs> Your Achilles is fine. Get back out there. Uh, no, I, I did think it was interesting. He said that he hurt his his ankle by stepping on Alfred Payton's foot and uh, dishing it to Taj for a layup in the Orlando game last Wednesday. And so I went back and looked at uh, the tape, kind of 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 the plays, and trying to figure out when it happened. And it was with a minute and 22 seconds left in that in that game on Wednesday, which, of course, if you remember, the Wolves were up by 26 points entering the fourth quarter. The Magic went on a 15-0 run as the as the Wolves kind of blew blew that lead, and Teague and the rest of the starters were forced to come back in and stay in all the way to the end of the game, and that forced, well, didn't force, but played a role in why why Teague ended up hurting his Achilles on a on a drive with a minute twenty two uh, left in that game. So it's a there's a negative externality of blowing a lead for this Timberwolves team. Well, yeah, and anytime really you blow a lead, it, it's never great to have to play your starters more minutes in the regular season if you can avoid it. I know it's something that doesn't really get avoided a lot with Thibodeau at the helm, but. That is one of the the things that you bring up that, yeah, that's an unfortunate cause and effect of having guys out there even more minutes is just more exposure to injury. Right, yeah, not not good. Uh, but, but Tyus did look great against uh, against Phoenix, and, and he talked a little bit today at Shootaround, too, just about the differences of uh, playing with the starters versus – versus the bench and just kind of needing to, to feed feed the scores a little more and be less aggressive than he is when he's when he's playing with the second unit. But for me he really profiles as the you know the type of backup point guard that can easily fit into a starting role. He's not a high volume shooter that's trying to get his necessarily. He kind of seems to understand the the role that he plays there. So what was the could you just give us a little bit of the the mood or the vibe I guess that was that was there at the shoot around just getting ready for the game tonight uh pretty big even without John Wall in the in the starting rotation pretty big opponent coming in with the Washington Wizards. Yeah, I, I actually talked to Scott Brooks a little bit about that too and so they they're like oddly in a similar sim, uh, situation with needing to to play a backup point guard as well and and Brooks specifically was interesting. 
was interesting to talk to because he was a journeyman backup point guard and just kind of had uh, had some perspective on kind of stepping in and, and playing that role for, and so that relates to Tim Frazier, the, who will be starting for the Wizards, and also Tyus Jones, but just kind of about not trying to overstep uh, and be more and try and fill the fill the shoes of that player and, you know, the classic uh, do-your-role type thing. Uh, so that that was interesting to talk to Brooks. He had a lot of good things to say about how the stadium looks a lot better than uh, when he played here or when he coached here over the past decade. But uh, but around the team, I don't know. It was it, it's weird with this team because there always seem even when they win, there seems to be some sort of problem. <laughs> it's like Towns isn't getting enough shots, or or Jimmy isn't scoring enough, or or one thing or the other. So. The tips can get a little, a little um, perturbed, I guess, when people start to, to ask about that and ask about Tom's not shooting enough and and that sort of thing. So I, I wouldn't say it's all like <laughs> roses here at Target Center, but <laughs> got to remember the team's twelve and eight, and I mean, what is that? That that uh, extrapolates out to forty eight wins, you know. So that's a, that's a <laughs> they're they're on pace for a good season. So we got to kind of remember that. Well, yeah, and. The other thing, too, is you mentioned there always seems to be a problem or something that needs to be fixed, whether you win or lose. They did bring in a lot of new pieces over the over the offseason, so even after victories, it's going to feel like you need to do something or tune up something a little bit. That's just part of the growing process, I feel like. Right, we're learning. You know, we're learning about these players, like how how they fit, who they are, and I mean, still, it's 20 games, but... But getting, you know, whether it's Jamal Crawford getting used to, to Gorgie Jang or Wiggins playing uh, opposite of Jimmy Butler rather than Brandon Rush, obviously that's a, a big shift. And Towns just isn't going to be able to have as much of a, a workload because he, there's, you know, three other guys around him who are going to get their shots in the starting lineup. So it, it's still a learning process, and I think that's going to, you know, that's going to last a while. But to be in a learning process and be 12-8 and eight is... I think is a definite positive. Well, and it, it is definitely when you're talking about the NBA season, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. So you don't want them to to try and really pick apart each game too much. Obviously, you want to grow from each game, but you want to realize that you're you're going to be improving over the course of months, not weeks. And so to to really pick apart every game would be almost borderline demoralizing if you're picking apart every win to the point where you can't find anything positive from each win. Right. I mean, in the name of growth. I, so, yeah. So I kind of just look at the the twenty games the team has had as a whole, and you can kind of um, make some assumptions about the the team's identity after you know after twenty games. That's what actually Thibodeau said said as much earlier in the year. He's like, we'll know a lot more about this team after twenty games. And so for me, what what that looks like is that this team's pretty pretty similar to last year, and stylistically similar. Um, they just have more talent, so that's that's leading to more wins. That's leading to more to better uh, late game execution. And yeah, so th- there's more wins, but you still look at um, the the type of team that the the Timberwolves are, and offensively, that's a team that's you know looking to get to the free throw line, and then also that one that operates in the mid-range a lot between Crawford and uh, Butler and Wiggins and even Towns. Uh, so, so that leads to then not a lot of threes. 
So you look at the Timberwolves as one of the teams who shoot the team that's shooting the second fewest threes in the league, and that's exactly identical to the the Timberwolves from last year, who were last in three point uh, attempts per game. So the team's different in players, but like in like the way it's logistically, you know, kind of executing, it's it's similar. And so that that's kind of my biggest biggest takeaway here from you know at the quarter pole of, of this season is to see that the team itself is fairly similar. Well, and I feel like that might have been a little bit expected just because while you're bringing those new pieces, a lot of those are Thibodeau guys coming into his system that he had already started to instill. So as far as just maybe culture change or system change, it's not going to change as much because Thibodeau already has what he wants an idea of what he wants to set up and how he wants it to look. And the guys he's bringing in for the most part are guys who are going to just help him get to that point even faster. Yeah, but my assertion would be to counter that is that when Tibbs was playing with, you know, Taj and Jimmy when he just started in Chicago, that's, um, you know, that's eight years ago or, or you go back to Boston, that's over a decade ago. So yeah, this Timberwolves team is playing very similar to those Bulls and Celtics teams, like strategically, but the NBA itself is extremely different than it was 10 years ago. So I think, I didn't think it was a definite given that Thibodeau was going to essentially coach in the exact same way as he did a decade ago, considering how much the NBA has changed. And, you know, we've, we've heard him talk when he took that year off, talk about gathering some things from the Warriors and just kind of going around the league to try and learn more. And it's not that he didn't learn more, but it hasn't really shown up in the, the way his teams play, which I think is an, is an interesting development. So do you think that could be maybe a developing storyline over the course of the season? Well, I'm, uh, I'm writing an article, and it's posting on zone coverage tomorrow, and <sighs> that's kind of... Uh, that's Gosh, I can my... read your mind. <laughs> that's kind of what my, my question is, is that can, can this work? Um, you know, in, in 2017, 20, 2018, is is that style work? And uh, all I, I question it, particularly the lack of threes, it's also kind of hard to, to argue with the effectiveness, at least on the offensive end. The Timberwolves have the, the fifth-best offense in the NBA right now, according to offensive rating. And so, so there's been success on the offensive end. But what we haven't touched on yet is is the defensive side. And, and coaches... Coach Thibodeau is instilling the same defensive principles that he instilled in those Boston teams and Chicago teams that were the best defense in the NBA. So that sounds good on the surface, but teams are using pick and roll more often and are attacking pick and roll differently than, than teams did against the Celtics and the Bulls a decade ago. Uh, a lot of times, one specific example that I found is, is that teams in the pick and roll are willing to have their point guard pull up from three as soon as they, they get the screen. And the, the goal of Thibodeau's defense is to push that lead ball handler into the middle of the mid-range there and have them shoot a long contested two. This day and age, teams are not going to that area. They will, they will pass out of that or they will shoot the three before that. So it's, it's very, it's very different. It, it worked. Um, it worked in, in Boston and Chicago because the, the lead ball handlers, point guards, came in and were shooting those difficult 16, 17, 18 footers uh, that were contested, and those those aren't worth as much and as a as a three is. So it's it's 
definitely not reaping benefits right now as the Wolves are still the, I think, third worst defense in the NBA right now, according to defensive rating. Well, and too, it's just, it's just totally a different like you have to defend so many different things than 10 years ago like you never mm-hmm. saw guys who would have a fast break and then pitch it out into the the corner for somebody to grab a three as opposed to passing up a layup or a, a, a chance at going to the foul line like you, ne- you never saw that and now teams do that regularly so it's just totally different things they have to de- defend and maybe maybe there's a little bit of not being able to change as much with the times as we anticipated I want to jump into this a little more with the Washington Wizards coming up uh, we will get uh, news around the league as well just because there has been some some pretty big news with the the Fizdale fire and we'll get to that later in the episode but first so if you're looking at this t- I really think that Towns is a big part. Him shooting outside of, is going to be a big part of winning or losing tonight, just because of how Gortat and and Morris play in the paint. So if you look at today tonight's game and how Thibodeau decides to play the offense, and then you look at how they play the Wizards. I think they play the Wizards in uh, January as well. And you look at those two, and they play them the same way, and you have really similar results. Is that when you're willing to say, all right, the, now the coaching is a little bit to blame here? Uh, yeah, I, I think what's interesting is the way that the Timberwolves are being coached against, specifically related to Carl Towns. You see the opposing power forward guarding Towns and the center guarding Tosh Gibson, and I would assume that will also be the case tonight with uh, with Gortat guarding Gibson and then Morris checking you know Towns. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I think the the Wolves would would do well to you know punish that with some some post-ups to Towns and kind of force teams to end up guarding him with a better post defender. And then Towns can also, you know, shoot threes or take advantage of those players on the perimeter. That happened a lot more last season when, when more often Towns was guarded by the opposing center. I remember one specific game against the Dallas Mavericks and Andrew Bogut is chasing around Carl Towns on the perimeter and that's not going to work, you know? So it's just kind of about accentuating the things Towns can do, his, you know, diverse skill set, it just he, it just doesn't really seem to be like, where, where is his spot? Is he going to be that, that stretch big man, or is he going to be the, the post-up big man? And it doesn't really seem to be either of those. He's kind of a penetrating or operating in the mid-range big man, and that, to some extent, you know, mitigates his effectiveness. I mean, largely, he's still been very good, but What's encouraging is I think that there's there's more room from for growth, not just from him improving as a player, but the way in which he's utilized. Like it can get even better. Towns can get even better, and the Wolves as a whole can get even better by you know finding these more effective shots. If they're already the fifth best offense right now, like I mean they could get really potent. I mean be one of the very best offenses in the NBA, and I, that's enticing. It'll be interesting to see if it actually happens. Well, that's the other thing too. Is sometimes it doesn't feel like there's an exact, there's not as big of an adjust adjustment from game to game, maybe as you want in as far as how players are used and who they're going to. Is that one of the things that maybe we start to see from Towns as he grows? Is he kind of transitions uh, depending on a matchup into a different player, uh, depending on on who he's playing that night? Yeah, well, that's what Thibodeau always says: is the game the game dictates the way in which. We use Towns. He was, he specifically talked about the the lack of touches he's he's been getting or the lack of shots he's been getting from the post today. And he says the game 
the game dictates what's going to happen with Towns. If if he's getting doubled, the smart, quote, winning play is to pass out of that double team. And so a lot of times we are seeing Towns get doubled in the post, and then he's kicking out, and that leads to less shots. So, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's a balance. Like, we can't just look at the, the total field goal attempts for Towns. Well, like, sometimes that can be frustrating because it really is, especially with the big man, about the way in which they're defended because it's just so much easier to double team a center rather than, you know, a perimeter player. Well, that part of my argument going into this game, why I wanted to see Towns take more perimeter shots, especially in this one, maybe not in general, but in this game, if I'm seeing more matchups where you're giving Taj Gibson a lot of space under the rim to play physical and and try and go after rebounds, and you're you're stretching out specifically with Towns stretching out some of those bigger guys who are going to be under the paint out to the perimeter a little more. I think that that would allow Taj Gibson to to have a bigger night, especially off the boards. Am, am I wrong? Is Gortat going to kind of neutralize Taj, or, or is that something you'd like to see? Well, I think Taj has played well, for sure, but he's also guarded every game as the fifth option, which leaves him, you know, some some room to have that space you're talking about underneath the basket. I mean, Taj isn't going to be receiving double teams underneath the, the hoop. He's going to be taking pretty, pretty clean looks, so... So he he's kind of like reaping reaping the benefits of that, and with the other four pieces around him, he's just really in a, a pretty good spot because I don't think, I mean, opponents aren't going to make it more of a defensive focal point to focus on Tosh Gibson over Andrew Wiggins or Jimmy Butler or Carl Towns, you know. So I think this is just kind of this is kind of Gibson's role. He'll just do what is there for him, and I think that's why Thibodeau loves him so much. So maybe in a a little bit switching from Towns to Gibson, maybe this could be a night where Gibson really cleans up and they can feed him down low and he can take advantage of some of those matchups and get some nice looks and and put up some points. Well, isn't that kind of exactly what's been happening of late? I mean, he had 24 points against the Magic and he had 16 points and 14 rebounds against the Suns on Sunday. So I kind of do think he he already is cleaning up a little bit uh, as is. That's right. True. So hopefully it continues then tonight, and uh, hopefully they can take advantage. I I would really like to see Wiggins and and Towns just stretch the defense, uh, especially without John Wall on the other end to try and keep this team in it. And another thing too in this game is I would really like to see the bench just make hay and just do really well. I was talking with uh, Mitch about this yesterday. the The bench for the Wizards isn't great. And we knew that coming into the season. And so if the bench for the Wolves, despite the the hamperings and, and some of the, the injuries going into tonight, if the bench can have a solid night, I feel that that will really help the the Timberwolves against the Wizards. Well, that's certainly their their biggest weakness is, is their bench. And that's something they've been trying to address over the, the past few years. And obviously losing their best player who plays you know 35 minutes a game and John Wall they're given, you know, 35 more minutes to uh, to bench level players. So it's definitely, you know, it's a definitely a weak team, you know, a team that's weak in depth to to take advantage of. So, so yeah, the the Wolves bench, who has been largely good this year, does need to, you know, take it take advantage of it. It's kind of similar to, you know, you think about the Timberwolves teams of the past, you know, three four years. That's that's why they've lost so often is because they've had a weak bench that has been taken advantage of. So, I think. Yeah, that certainly is something that they'll they'll look to 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 take advantage of 
today. Hopefully, I'd like to see a little more mixing of the starters and bench together. Maybe Teague or Bielitsa being out will force that a little bit more. We talk about the Orlando Magic game where uh, I think the Wolves won the quarter by 25 points, the third quarter by 25 points, and that saw um, Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins play with three bench players in that game. It was one of the first times we've really seen a pretty big staggering and shocker. It it, it uh, worked really well, and uh, you know it would be good to injury or not, see a little bit more of a shuffle there between the bench players and, and the starters. The, the whole hockey subs kind of five-in, five-out thing, I'm just not personally a, a huge fan of. All right, putting a, putting a bow on the Washington Wizards before we go to some league news. Are you worried that Bradley Beal can can put the Timberwolves on, on their heels himself, or do you think that he'll be hampered because – he won't have John Wall next to him. He is averaging 24.2 points per game. He leads the Wizards, actually, in scoring. Do you think that he'll continue that on and really give the Timberwolves real problems, or do you think that they'll be able to keep him in check just because of John Wall's absence? It'll be interesting to see how they utilize them, utilize him. I, if, you know, if I were the Wizards, Gortat's uh, a very good pick-and-roll player, and I would opt to use Bradley Beal and pick and roll as much as possible and look for him to to get a lot of get a lot of looks out of that and you know that's an action that works without John Wall it's a, pretty much a two player action so I would expect that there's a lot of that and and Bradley Beal is I mean he can shoot so he when we talk about the Wolves pick and roll defense and trying to force the ball handler into the mid range, like Bradley Beal is the type of player who's going to come right off of that screen and, and shoot a three. So it, it will be interesting to see how the Wolves defended if they'll uh, bump the big man up a little bit more to try and take that away from Beal as he's just a, a great uh, three point shooter. Um, but, but large, one way or the other, I think the Wizards will look to really emphasize him. I mean, he's going to get a ton of shots, a ton of threes. That's, that's their their offensive weapon that's going to you know kind of stir the drink tonight. Otto Porter, Morris Gortat are all very much you know role players that are going to just kind of function around Beal would be my assumption. Yeah, they got to run most of that stuff through through him if they're going to have a, a chance to stay in this one. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be and then like you said, the bench it'll be interesting to see if Kelly Oubre is able you know to contribute. They do. I mean, Jody Meeks is another good shooter they have coming off the bench and. Taking that Miami game on Friday as an example, the Wolves are able to be taken advantage of if you are willing to swing the ball against them and, and you know, pine for, for threes. And the Wizards do have three-point shooters that they that could, you know, take advantage of that. It, I don't know how well that comes to fruition when you're, you're missing your point guard, who is, you know, the instigator of most of your actions. But I, I wouldn't be shocked to see... Uh, you know, the Wizards coming out and hitting threes right away and, you know, at least keeping pace with the Wolves uh, to start. Well, hopefully hopefully Bradley Beal, they're able to keep him in check and defend the perimeter well enough to, to keep the three-point shooting out of out of the possibility of having the Wizards pull this one off on the road. Uh, going to some league news, we had uh, we had one of the fellow podcasts, the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. Actually, they were previewing this and kind of called out the 
the David Fisdale firing, and it was co- they were covering that. They had really good coverage. Uh, Pierre Edmonston was on top of it. For he's the host of the Locked On Grizzlies show. Here's a a quick soundbite from his show and that show covering the David Fisdale firing. Could this the be? be the beginning of a road that leads to a Gasol trade and starts a full-out rebuild for the Memphis Grizzlies? I always kind of thought after last year that it would be either Mark or Fisdale. You know, an eight-game losing streak could balloon to, like, something crazy if they don't get this fixed ASAP. And very few coaches can survive when things aren't going well and you reel off a, you know, a double-digit losing streak. So... It may lead to a Gasol trade. It may lead to Fisdale being fired. I, it's, I think it's a coin flip at this point, uh, which one of those is more likely. And so just from our perspective, uh, a fellow team in the Western Conference loses their head coach. First of all, what are your thoughts and reactions from David getting canned? Yeah, well, I was, I was certainly surprised. I actually <laughs> – this looks like a obviously a bad projection right now. I, I think the – at the beginning of the year, the the Grizzlies Vegas over under came out at thirty seven and a half games, and I thought that was a, a pretty obvious over bet in in my opinion, uh, just because they they've I mean continually been a team that makes it work. They have two very good players in Marcus Saul and you know Mike Conley, but when when you're that top heavy and one of those players goes down, it you know it it leads to kind of dysfunction. And what did they lose nine straight games? And you know players get frustrated. Marcus Gasol gets benched and 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 expresses his discontent. Yeah, he was not happy about that. Next, yeah, <laughs> but I don't. I mean, you you would like to think that they the two of them have you know good of enough of a relationship to you know to to kind of get through that. I mean, Gasol was really struggling in those nine games. I think he was shooting thirty five percent overall from the field. So 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 he was struggling and. So Fizdale's being punished for like trying to send a message, you know, to to his center. I mean, I don't know what's going on behind uh, behind closed doors, but but Fizdale did a lot of good things with that that team last year. Led them to the playoffs, and actually, we we talked to Scott Brooks about that today, and he was he was pretty disappointed. He Cody gave me was he did a lot of good things last year in Memphis, and those were all forgotten after 18 games. That's unfortunate. Um, so I thought that was interesting from from Brooks. Is just these coaches can get dismissed, you know, so quickly. And that coaching fraternity, I think, is is frustrated by by the turnover there. But then at the same time, from the organizational standpoint, it's you know, it, it's sure it's not a good look for the Grizzlies or any team that fires their coach. But the coach's salary doesn't factor against the salary cap. It's in the grand scheme of things. I mean, Fisdale's making a couple million dollars, and that's not uh that's you know not that big of an expense you know that's the that's what um the 12th 13th man on most teams are making so so if the grizzlies think that they can find something more uh elsewhere i guess that's what they they you know decided to roll with i think in these situations there's just all always so much that that we don't know or or understand as lebron said i need i need some answers <laughs> <laughs> To be now, able to make an opinion, it it definitely seems strange just because of the season they had last year was by no means a bad season, and then in the off season their bench really got ripped apart, and Chandler Parsons hasn't pay, panned out at all, and so you had Mike Conley and Gasol, and then the 
Mike Conley with the, his injury and you have Gasol there and the problems that Gasol's been having, as you mentioned, over the last few games, it just seems like a weird way for him to get fired. And definitely, it definitely didn't, I, I don't know, maybe blindside is a bad word, but because they were having problems and usually that's the gut reaction from some GMs is just to, to fire the head coach and, and tell fans that'll be better because of that. But it does seem like a strange reason for him to get fired because of a bad streak after a really good season and then a, a pretty rough offseason just for the team as far as the losses they took to the roster. Right, and and Conley's been hurt. You know, like maybe it's a little more forgivable if the if they start off if they lose nine straight games and they have Conley and Gasol, that would be more indicative to say, you know, this isn't working. But but Conley hasn't been playing. You know, you don't. And they look good with Conley was, on the floor at the beginning of the yeah, season. Yeah, they started. Yeah, they started seven and three, I believe. You know, <laughs> very good. So with wins yeah, over they, the Rockets. Yeah, I yeah they. That's that's what I was saying. I was feeling good about the over thirty-seven and a half at the beginning of the year, but you know, I, I think a lot of these teams just they make the they make the change sooner rather than later, so as to you know kind of get things to stabilize by the end of the season. If you look at Phoenix; they fired Watson after three games, and now you know you're going to have seventy-nine games with their their new head coach and. I guess there's more of a there's more time to, I guess when when you when firing a coach is a possibility or a, a likelihood, it's kind of good to just get it done. Um, but this one just seems was too out of left field for me, and particularly after the success they had last year, I'm I'm, I'm totally with you. It's it's bizarre in Memphis. It's a it's a strange one. Quick, just real quickly, want to highlight uh, both our teams that we uh, bet on the, the Thunder. You had the Thunder, I had the Clippers, tied at eight and eleven right now. Uh, is there a chance that one of us has to pay the other without either of the teams going to the playoffs? <laughs> I think the Thunder are going to the playoffs, uh, but the Clippers. I mean, like Griffin got hurt last night too. I don't think they've like diagnosed that injury. That that Clippers team is in shambles, you know, by and his own I player. Rivers yeah. takes him out. The uh, the interesting thing with the Thunder is how good their differential is, and uh, you know, Basketball Reference or wherever you get your stats kind of does expected win loss based on differential, and and the Thunder's win loss should be twelve and seven, and they're actually eight and eleven. You know, and that I guess that maybe <laughs> you could see that as a positive for that team that they're still kind of just like figuring it out, but. But overall, playing well, and it's just not leading to wins yet. I I, I do kind of sit in the perspective that that the Thunder team is going to figure it out and and definitely be a, a four or five seed. I know that maybe seems a little bold, but but there a lot of these teams in the West aren't really like jumping out ahead of the pack. It's I think it's pretty clearly going to be Golden State, Houston, San Antonio. But that that four seed is pretty up for the for grabs and I even think for Oklahoma City too who still has you know 62 more games to play this year well I I probably should just get this over with and and pay you at the at the zone coverage Christmas party in December (laughs) because if Blake Griffin is out for an extended amount of time and they end up pulling off a DeAndre Jordan trade that's that's about it for me that's about it for me (laughs) no it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to follow I think this this trade deadline is gonna be super interesting if 
if teams like that, like the Clippers and, and, and Memphis too, obviously Gasol's name's already been swirling kind of in trade speculation and, and DeAndre Jordan too is, I don't know how many of these West teams are going to want to make a hard push for, you know, the eighth seed is like, how is that super appealing to the Clippers? They're a team that's been into the playoffs a lot. It's like making the playoffs means a lot more to the Timberwolves than it does to the Clippers, you know? Like there's not that like, whatever intrinsic value of a, a playoff berth to that team, you would think they would rather just kind of start the quote rebuild, you know, sooner. So that there's a lot of guys who could go there and Gasol, I think would be a huge asset to be added, you know, to another team. And there's some of the other cellar dwellers have, you know, interesting players too. So I, we've got a while to the trade deadline, but it's going to be, it's going to be fun to speculate on. It's going to be a really good trade deadline. And if if you're a team in the East, break the piggy bank right now. While the Cleveland Cavaliers are having problems and there's players leaving the team, break the piggy bank and grab somebody while you can to try and get a really good spot in the East. Because right now there's a bunch of disarray. uh, And try and go out and just surprise somebody with a big trade and get to the top. This is a year where Miami could be like grab a five seed just because they make a move and they're so good at grabbing somebody. Uh, this is the year that maybe they could be sneaky. Yeah, well, I think they already are the sixth seed right now. So, I mean, what about a team like Detroit? You know, they're they're have the two seed right now in in the East or Toronto. I think is always a, a threat to to make a move. I think both of those teams are kind of in a tough salary cap position. But you know, if you can kind of finagle that, like the Sixers, maybe make a move at another at another piece, a really good bench piece, something like that. Like, yeah, that. There's going to be a lot more teams that are in the conversation in the East rather than in the West. There's going to be an incentive to kind of like blow things up more in the West because how, again, how exciting is it to go battle for the AC just to go get swept by the, you know, the Warriors in the the first round? Yeah, that's that's not a ton of incentive. Uh, Not a ton (laughs) there. All righty. So you have the, the piece coming out tomorrow, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be, that'll be up tomorrow morning on, on zonecoverage.com, just kind of looking at the the team 20, 20 games in, and and what what Thibodeau's kind of thinking about this offense and this defense, and how it's it's really the same and very similar to his his Bulls and Celtics teams of the past. And I'm kind of questioning if that's a good idea, but also recognizing it's working. So it's uh, it'll be interesting, and that'll probably run better if the the Timberwolves lose to to the Wizards tonight. But I've also hoping that's not the case, and I think they, they should be able to figure it out with, with no John Wall. But the Wizards are scrappy. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> they are, especially Bradley. I'm, I'm never going to under- underestimate a healthy Bradley Beal, so watch out for them. Uh, Tim will be at that game as well, so he'll have a recap tonight. So go check that out on zonecoverage.com as well as Dane's piece tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. a- after that, all I have to say is get better, Blake, please. For the love, for the love of all, it's only get better, Blake. Uh, this has been Dane Moore and Colt Molesky on another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.